I think one of the most underrated problem-solving skills is how to communicate efficiently. So instead of screaming at each other, like people often do on Twitter, it's good to come together and have like a, an adult conversation just so both sides feel like their points are getting across and the other person is understanding their perspective. I think a lot of times we forget that communication isn't talking at people, it's like speaking with people. Welcome in. My name is Lo, and I'm a developer relations specialist at Sanity.io, and I'm joined by my co-host, Roselle Scarlett, who is a developer advocate at GitHub. And you're listening to Human Readable, a monthly series where we discuss a new approach to learning how to foster and maintain diverse, inclusive, and welcoming tech communities. Each month, we will be joined by many surprising guests who will offer insight on community organizing, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging efforts, conflict resolution, radical communication, and human behavior. Want to find out how a kindergarten teacher, musicians, artists, social workers, and more can help you moderate your virtual community? Tune in. Human Readable is brought to you by Heavybit, the leading investor in developer-first startups. For more information, visit heavybit.com. If you're interested in being a guest on this show, or if you would like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter at Lois Ren. That is L-O-W-I-S-R-E-N. Hey everyone, I am so excited to introduce today's guest. Her name is Kadesha Kerr. Prior to this release and when this podcast was recorded, Kadesha was a developer advocate at Lacework. But today she's my coworker. Kadesha is a developer advocate at GitHub, where she enjoys creating content to engage the developer community. Prior to her transition in the world of tech, she worked as a social worker in various government agencies and attended an intense coding boot camp in 2019 to make her transition to software development. She finds joy in helping others learn about the tech industry. And she creates technical content on Instagram and TikTok for new and aspiring technologists at It's That Lady Dev. She has spoken at conferences, online workshops, and multiple podcasts about her experience as a software developer. When she's not creating content online, you can find her in the kitchen cooking up her favorite Jamaican dish. All right, everyone, let's welcome our guest. Kadesha, Kadesha, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. I'm doing well. How are you doing, Roselle? I'm doing awesome. I'm doing amazing. Fantastic. All right, let's get into it. So before you became um, a software engineer and a developer advocate, you were a social worker. Um, Can you talk sort of a little bit about your day-to-day for the people listening who maybe are unfamiliar with social work duties or the type of work you did? Yeah. uh, So I studied social work in college and right out of college, I worked with the Florida DCF as a child protective investigator. So what did that include? That included me doing a lot of case notes, doing a lot of work with police officers, going to the courthouse to advocate for a kid's safety and sometimes having to remove children from their homes because of unsafe conditions. I've also worked with a few domestic violence shelters as a victim advocate. So I ensured that clients had everything they needed 
said, when they left a very dangerous situation, sometimes in the middle of the night, we'd have like women coming to the safe house to stay. Uh, so we just had to make sure that they were comfortable. They had everything they need. They had counseling. Uh, we set them up with services. Then after that, I've also worked as a case manager. Uh, so a case manager is someone that goes out into the community and meets with clients and help people with their basic needs is what I would say. So like housing, food, school, medical, just connecting individuals with government services that they qualify for and helping them to, I guess, advance in their lives and become like more stable humans. And then I got tired of being client-facing, so I worked in government. And in the government portion of things, I was on the finance side. Don't ask me how I went from being on the streets to working in the finance department, but I was doing a lot of accounting, so like accounts payable, receivables, uh, grant billing. So like that was the full gamut of my role as a social worker. And then I, I just got tired of, of it all. <laughs> yeah, I feel that. I mean, you know, transitions happen all the time. I transitioned myself from social work and was doing syringe exchange and very much out in the community with people and working with folks and doing a lot of community-based programs to doing sort of full-time web development and software work within the context of social work still and sort of community-based program work. So I get it. Like sometimes you just need a break from those sort of very people facing work, which can be super intense. And it's a lot of like communication and skills involved there. So I totally get that. Yeah, it's absolutely intense and it's it's a lot of emotional work. And I think that's why I got so exhausted be, just because of the emotionality of it and just seeing the struggle every single day. Um, it was a lot. Yeah, I can understand that. And just to add, like, it's, it's realistic for people to have like different career journeys and paths. Like I know, like, especially when you're young, you're like, oh, this is the one thing I'm going to be doing. But then you realize, wait a minute, like it's wavy. Like I went from drawing people's blood as a phlebotomist to doing help desk to doing software engineering. So I get that. And I know you said it's like emotionally draining. So I can imagine that like there's conflicts happening, like in a perfect world, there would be no conflicts in your role as a social worker. But I have a bit of like a loaded question for you, I guess. <laughs> the first part of the question is like, what did conflict resolution look like um, for you as a social worker? What did that communication look like? Were there any like techniques that you used or how did you adapt your communication style when speaking with different people? Yeah, that is such a great question. I think for me, conflict resolution has a, a lot to do with active listening and making sure that we hear exactly what the person is saying and not what we think they're saying. Uh, so active listening for me means not thinking about anything else, but what the person is saying. You know how sometimes somebody's saying something to us and we're already thinking about our response and and we can't wait for them to stop so we can say what we want to say. So active listening, that is not active listening. Active listening is paying full, giving your full attention to somebody who's talking so they know that you're listening, you're there and they're important to you and their issue is, you know, off importance to you and you really want to help them. So I tried to make sure that I was doing that as much as possible because that was a part of my training. And instead of telling a client what I think they need to know or where I think they need to be, I tried to meet them 
them where they are. So of course, different clients would be in different situations at any given moment. So that's something I would also try to do, meet them where they are and not where I think they should be or what they should be doing. Mm -hmm. But um, for example, if somebody is facing a homeless situation and they're just like, hey, I'm really going to be losing my home next week. How can you help me? Instead of me saying, oh, but why didn't you, instead of blaming them, it's just like, okay, let's apply for X program with X county to see if you can get some money or to see if they can give you a voucher so you can stay in your home for the next month. And then we can figure out how you can get a job, right? So instead of trying to tell them, why didn't you get a job? (laughs) It's just like, okay, let's solve the problem first. And then we can figure out a longer term solution. So that's mostly how I communicated with a lot of my clients that I had. I tried to reach them where they were. Um, It's a lot of empathy. It's a lot of um, listening. It's a lot of patience because sometimes I would provide all the resources. And one thing about me, I'm resourceful. Okay, I'm going to find the resources. And I even do that now. I do that now as a software engineer and a content creator. I will find the resources for you. But if I find something for you and I provide it to you and you don't do the work, I can't handle it um, because I can't do the work for you, right? And that was a lot of my frustration as a social worker. A lot of times it's just like, I am doing all this work for you, but you're not willing to sit down and complete a form in order to improve your situation. Hopefully that answers your question. No, it does. It does. And it brings up like that same experience, even though I'm not a social worker of like, even in like running G code or being a developer advocate, people reach out to me, Hey, can you help me get to this um, and do that? And then I tell them and it feels like they want me to do the work for them. Um, yes. And like, we can bring a horse to water, but you can't make them drink it. Is that like the right <laughs> term? Yeah. <laughs> Wait, Lauren, I'm curious for you too. Like I know you were a social worker. What did conflict resolution and communication look like for you? So I think like very similar to what Kadesha is saying, and I will just sort of add to that, that I think, you know, what active listening really is, is like being present, right? So very much, I think in my social work situation, and particularly in cases of harm reduction, when you're dealing with a lot of humans who are experiencing addiction or active drug use and various other circumstances that arise from sort of extended periods of drug use or active addiction, you know, you have certain circumstances like homelessness or, you know, joblessness, all kinds of these very crisis-oriented situations that can pop up, but also just people being very functional drug users and having very real jobs and understanding that sort of life experience and being able to be present in a conversation with someone and not have this script in your mind, right? Mm -hmm. Because I think a lot of times when we have any kind of role, whether that be a social worker or community manager or DevRel, Dev Advocate, you have these sort of built-in scripts in your mind when you're talking to someone in that context. But sometimes it's not relevant to what the person is actually saying you. So that's why you have to be very much active and present in that conversation. Because sometimes what someone is saying is, no, I'm not ready to go to rehab or I'm not ready to go to this program. But if you have a script in your mind that's pushing rehab, you're not actually going to provide the services that you need for that person in the same way that you speak to people in, you know, your tech community or 
in the greater community of the company that you work for, people don't all have or approach, you know, problems in the same way. So make sure you're actually like listening to the person, listening to what they have going on and being present, I think is the big thing. But also sort of just to comment about some other things that are said, I think sometimes we as even social workers or DevRel folks or Dev advocates, we have this idea in our mind that our resources didn't work if the person didn't follow through and we take that very emotionally and personally. <laughs> True. That's definitely me. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, it's, it's all of us, right? Because we're doing this kind of work because we want to help people. Even in, you know, sort of the tech phase, we want to help people. We want to provide access. We want as many people to get in the door as possible, right? Yeah. But I think that taking a step back and really thinking about like, what is my end goal? My end goal is to provide resources and provide a way for this to happen. That doesn't, I have no control over whether or not people actually get on that path or actually use those resources. However, that doesn't mean that just because these people did not do that, that the next people won't. So you've got to keep doing it. Right. And I think it's sometimes really hard to stay like, I think motivated, particularly when you have situations go wrong or you have like, you've done all this work and you feel like people are not following through, but just recognizing, you know, what you do have control over is always providing um, those resources and being present. I definitely feel like Lauren is calling me out because right. that is a hundred percent me. Like I, I low-key get so upset. Like I don't show my community that I'm upset because that's not the environment I foster. But behind the scenes, I'm just like, wow, really? You asked me for this. I provided it to you. And still you're here. But I think it's also realizing that people have varied experiences and where a person is today is not where they will be tomorrow because life happens. And it's a matter of offering grace. So thank you for that perspective. I will try to practice more patience behind the scenes. <laughs> yeah, I'm calling myself out too because I know how it is to have that kind of passion, right? And want these things to happen. But I just always try to keep in my mind that like, you don't know what's going on with people. And sometimes people are just in your tech community because they want community. And even if they are approaching you for help or solution, sometimes they just want to be seen and heard. And that is enough. So whether or not they actually take actionable items from what you're giving them, sometimes people just want to feel a part of things. And that is okay. That is okay. Yeah. That was a really good reminder. I like in running G code, the third cohort, I was like, so I felt like I failed because I'm like, most of the students didn't move on to software engineering roles like the other cohorts did. I'm like, I don't even think they cared. I'm like, I probably like didn't relay the information well or something like that. But you're right. Like maybe they just weren't ready or maybe they were just looking for community or whatever was going on. So thank you for that. Right. And like, that's the thing with sort of putting yourself out there and offering these things and being vulnerable and like wanting to do all of these things. The end result may not be what you wanted, but that doesn't mean it wasn't valuable. And even if people don't do this, the exact thing that you were trying to help them to do, that doesn't mean that you didn't provide valuable information or that they still didn't sort of glean nuggets of information mm -hmm. or things to take on them, even if they choose a different path. Like, 
I think it's good, like in terms of G code or any community, I think if people are staying in there, there's a reason that they're there. And so if they didn't want to be, they wouldn't. People have a lot of choices in the ways that they spend their time, right? So if there's something that is one keeping them there and they want to be there. And sometimes that is just like I said, like literally I want to be in a space with other people. Sometimes that's, I want to be in a space with other people who look like me. Yeah, Like it can be all kinds of things going on. So it's just like, I try to keep that in mind. And I, you know, was calling myself out too, just as a reminder. Hey, remember that like, there's all these other things in play, you know? See, you can tell that Lauren had a lot more experience as a social worker than I <laughs> than I did. Because uh, that, that knowledge just comes with like years of experience in dealing with people. Yeah. And I had like, I think, particularly when it comes to social work, I had a lot of really great mentors, I think, mm. that sort of helped instill some of that onto me beforehand and during and after, you know, And that's really like, I think, what I particularly take into my work now as a DevRel and as a community is that like, you never know what is going to grab someone when you're talking to them. And it may not be the technical thing that you said. It may just be that you were kind and you were nice and you listened and you were there when they needed a space to say something. I'm curious then, like what problem solving skills, like in addition to the ones that y'all already brought up, did you all learn from doing social work that can be applied to tech communities? I think one of the most underrated problem solving skills is how to communicate efficiently. So instead of screaming at each other, like people often do on Twitter, it's good to come together and have like a, an adult conversation just so both sides feel like their points are getting across and the other person is understanding their perspective. I think a lot of times we forget that communication isn't talking at people. It's like speaking with people and showing empathy and compassion and understanding. And we can all like agree to disagree. That's okay. Like we all have different like opinions and perspectives. So I think a lot of times in, especially in like tech and especially on Twitter, I see it a lot. People forget that people are allowed to have their opinions and you don't have to agree with everyone. I think that's such an important point. That's something that's really valuable that I took away from my career as a social worker. It's just like people are people and everyone has different experiences that informs their decision, that informs their thinking, that informs their way of life. And there's nothing wrong with it. If it's not your cup of tea, then it's not your cup of tea. Just leave it be. I think that's definitely something I use in in the tech community. Just let people be. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone on Twitter needs to learn that. Yes. <laughs> and I've, I've been at jobs where they don't seem to accept that idea either. But Lauren, you were going to say something. <laughs> I was just going to say too, and like the power of not speaking, right? Yes. Like, I think that that is like one of probably the most useful things that I use uh, from my social work days in my tech career now, especially as a dev role. The power of not speaking can also be translated. There's lots of things in this, the weight method, which we'll maybe get into in another episode, but the weight method is an acronym and it stands for why am I talking, right? So really thinking about when you're having a conversation with someone or a dialogue or what have you, what is my reason for speaking? Am I just speaking to be heard? What do I want to come out of what I'm saying? 
you know, what is it that I want to be understood? So thinking about those things when you're talking and communicating, particularly, I think, as a DevRel, social worker, community manager, all of those things is super important. Yeah, I think something else to say is like something I implement is I call it block and delete. So if somebody makes like a really nasty negative comment, I don't allow it to affect me and I don't allow it to affect my community. Instead, I delete the comment and I block the person so they can't interact with the space I'm building anymore because I feel like it takes so much energy to be negative and to respond to that negativity. And then it can sometimes be drawn out and I just don't have the space for that. And something else I do is like, I love to clarify a lot. I, I love to ask a lot of clarifying questions yes. instead of, instead of assuming like, this is what the person meant. I'm just like, Oh, can you give me an example of whatever we're talking about? Just so I understand where they're coming from instead of letting my preconceived notions inform where they're coming from. Um, I think clarification is, is so needed in tech communities. Yes. And like, also, you know, just this thing of like repeating what people say back to you yes. or what you heard them say. <laughs> so, you know, my understanding of what you said is this, is this correct? You know, just further on the clarification tip, like, Am I hearing you or did I read correctly what you're trying to say? Because that sort of goes along to, I think, what Roselle and I were talking about with Demetrius in our last episode, which was intention versus impact, right? And if you're really trying to sort of suss out a scenario or an incident that happens in your community, like figuring out the gap between intention and, and sort of impact and being able to really explain that you really have to know what went on like, and what's going on. So asking those clarification questions, super, super needed and all should be a skill that every DevRel or community manager who's working within a tech community should deploy. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I like the block and delete met method as long as like they know like the code of conduct. Like I, I do feel like sometimes communities have a code of conduct and you have a bad actor and like sometimes I don't see people like say hold them accountable and be like hey like you're not following the rules you're making other people feel bad so I think it's important to like you said let them know like hey this is the reason why you're getting blocked um and you can't be part of this community anymore no no exceptions um these are the consequences that were laid out right and if it's a temporary these are the conditions in which you may come back. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm a firm believer in a restorative process, right? And it's one of the things yeah. that I'm trying to implement in the sanity community, which is sometimes, you know, there is a need for temporary suspension or a temporary timeout from the community, right? But if you just send someone away and say, oh, you violate our code of conduct, here's where you violate it, you're going to have a timeout for X amount of time, if you don't provide any, like, here are the conditions in which you can come back or attempt to come back, this is what you need to do, and this, these are the things you need to understand, then you're just bringing someone back who maybe fully doesn't even understand what they did or why they had a timeout and may produce the same behavior again, right? So if you were in a situation, I think, where you're going to allow people to come back and everyone sort of just decides on what that behavior is and where that threshold is and where that line is, you need to have some restorative work happen there. Ooh, wait, can I know what, like, 
conditions that people can come back on? I'm like curious what that looks like. Like, how do you? It depends on what it is, right? I think it depends on level of severity because sometimes some people just need to be gone and that's it, right? <laughs> yeah. But when it is, and this is obviously after some clarification, you know, so one, you have to have time to do this kind of work because you need to actually have time to invest in sort of, you know, doing an investigation and figuring that out. It may be that, okay, you're still going on a timeout. Here's why you're going on the timeout. In order for you to come back, you need to go through some kind of education process and give some resources. But that means that on the back end, when that person is able to come back, someone needs to follow up and, you know, unpack that situation and have a, you know, do you understand, do you have any questions about the education materials that were given to you? Is it clear to you now what is expected of you in terms of behavior and communication in this space? And I fully recognize and I'm totally realistic that that is not always feasible for every tech community, but there are still some sort of pieces that you could take away from something like a restorative process that has a heavy enforcement back end. So that means you have a living, working code of conduct that updates regularly. Living means it updates regularly. It changes. The world changes. Society changes. All of your things that provide a guide for expected communication and behavior should also change within your community space. So you have that to back you up and have clear expectations within that of what to do and what not to do. What happens when you do a thing that you should not do in this community, right? So if you have those pieces in place, then you can sort of implement some of these strategies, right? But if you have a situation where you just have a code of conduct and you link to it off on like your website, but you never really refer to it, it's kind of like, it's like this dead document. It's like a checkbox, code of conduct done. Yeah. One of the things I think too, that is really good about sort of community-based work and social work in particular is, we're really good about repetition of resources and repetition of education, right? And so, like, I feel like code of conduct needs to be the same type vibe, right? Like, don't show people code of conduct one time. Show them in multiple ways, bits and pieces, all the time. Remind people, this is what we do in this space. This is how we talk to each other in this space. This is how we communicate in this space. This is how we behave to our other community members. And then we all, as DevRels, model that behavior, right? So then you create a sort of positive reinforcement for engaging in the positive ways that we want to see in the community. Yeah. I love it. Super insightful. I kind of want to ask about, but I don't know if it's a spicy take for you, about what parts of tech communities have you observed that are broken or could be improved? I don't feel like it's that spicy. I love a spicy taste. (laughs) I do. I'm not very spicy online. (laughs) I just mean like, have you participated, maybe like if you, have you participated in a tech community that was, um, even as a participant, right? That you observed was like, oh, this Mm. is not how things should go or could be better. I think a lot of times it's just the responses or lack of responses to questions that community members have that gets to me the most. 
I don't know. I guess it's just like if you're if you say you're going to have a community, I expect the community to be well managed. And I expect if somebody asks a question, especially a well-intentioned or well-informed question, that it gets like a, a good response. So it's just like the silence is deafening a lot of times for me. And it, it makes me not want to engage or be a part of the community anymore because I'm not going to be listened to, right? As humans, we all just want to be heard and seen and um, not being seen in a community that tells me that I will be seen. It's disheartening. Definitely. And I think, you know, along those lines, I will allow this uh, new-ish content management system to remain anonymous. But recently I was in a community of a sort of popular content management system are becoming popular and their community. And this is coming from the people who were organizing the community. So the community managers and the DevRel of this community, I thought were setting a very toxic tone. Mm-hmm. And so at the beginning of like their help channel, for instance, it has some instructions about how you ask questions. And the very last part of that section says, if you ask a question in here, we assume that you've already done X, Y, Z. And I just felt like one, the tone and the way in which it was written and having it there at all was so condescending. And it didn't take in one, all of those things that we have just talked about, which is people's life experience, people who are in the community and not really understanding some like basic, I think, human behavior, right? Most people who ask technical questions in a space like that, they are coming to you at peak frustration, which means they have already tried on their own to solve this problem. So when they come in that space, they may seem a little bit, you know, what to you is maybe emotional, but it's just desperation, right? Because they've tried all that they know how to do and they are at peak frustration. So if you come into a community and you're using that product and then you see something like that, I just feel like it sets a horrible tone for the community and example for how everyone should behave because that means that other people in the community who may want to help and do the right thing and help other community members, they are going to also adapt that tone. So you may get a response of like, if I come in and say, I need help with this, a community member asks me, well, did you try this? Did you try that? Did you look up there? And that's not really, I think, a collaborative learning environment, welcoming environment we want to set. So that, that was one of the things that I just saw recently that I could not believe. Yeah, language and understanding how to, again, communicate with people. I I think it's just the biggest pitfall. And like, I strongly believe that communication and empathy are the most important skills in tech. Like you can learn technical skills. You can learn all the tools and the the knickknacks that you need to do your job. But when it comes to communicating and communicating with empathy and meeting people with respect, it takes being very intentional with the words you use and how you say those words. It's wild. Sometimes it's wild in the wild. (laughs) It's so wild. I I was like, what? Say what? Like I immediately was like, I'm leaving. (laughs) Like I don't even want to be here. Yeah. No, that's something I'm like super passionate about. I mean, I guess I haven't like built that many like 
communities in terms of like open source communities and stuff like that around the product. But I'm super passionate about like how we approach people who are trying to learn or need to get help. Cause I, I just hate to hear like people say, did you Google it? Like, I feel like most times when someone's coming to you for help, they did Google it. Yeah, they, they definitely have. Cause people don't want to ask for help. So it's like, all right, this is like my last resort. Hey, I need help. And then you got someone like, did you Google it? That always makes me shut down a little bit. And I'm like, all right, I'll just Google it again. Cause that's their response. But I think like, I know that software engineers are like, want to be efficient and time saving or whatever, blah, 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 people in tech. So to me, it's easier or better if you're like, hey, awesome, happy to help you. What have you tried already? Like, what's the end goal? And then like, what result did you see? I feel like oftentimes like you're like, oh, I don't want to waste time helping this person. And then we're going back and forth. Those three questions should like answer what you need very quickly and you'll be able to help them. Um, I don't know. I try to use that framework, especially with junior engineers, because I hate, hate, hate to hear like, did you Google it? I'm like, duh, of course they did. <laughs> yeah. And like, I think what you're really talking about is like definitely like another social work thing, right? Which is like reframing. It's asking, did you Google it in a different way? But it's in addition to what all have you done? Which is a totally different tone. And it comes across completely different, right? It's a much more empathetic way of saying, one, acknowledging that the person is actually asking you for help. And two, saying, all right, I'm going to help you, but so we don't repeat ourselves, what have you done already? That's all the time we have for today. If you're interested in being a guest on this show, or if you would like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter at Lois Ren. That's L-O-W-I-S-R-E-N. This show is brought to you by Heavybit, the leading investor in developer-first startups. To learn more about Heavybit, visit heavybit.com.